In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Advice for the podcast guest from The Accidental Tourist. Bring only what fits in a carry-on bag. You're recording a podcast. You don't need a week's worth of clothes. Craig and Carla may choose to argue. Don't commit to one side or the other. Best to be polite. <laughs> Bring several travel-sized packets of detergent. Craig may spill a drink and ruin your clothes. One suit is plenty, if you're Paul F. Tompkins. Otherwise, why are you wearing a suit to a podcast taping? Always bring a book as protection against strangers. Again, Craig and Carla will argue. You may want the time to check out a good book. <laughs> Hello, uh, Craig's listeners. They always fall apart just slightly. At yes, the they do because <laughs> you know these are not these are not written bits. Uh, this is just me grabbing one thing I kind of remember from the movie. It's great and riffing. That and was riffing. a really good voice uh, voice match. That's, I don't know. William Hurt is tough. You yeah. know, I, that's, I can't do it. that's the best that I can. He has such odd rhythms. We'll get into this, I'm sure, <laughs> but he's got, you know, a very low voice and kind of odds, stops and starts and yeah. kind of says things very simply. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I I try to base it off of the broadcast news line. You look so clean and pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have like a line that you say for for each yeah, I actor think, you're imperson- you impersonating? Impersonating? You know, you know uh, vocal impressionists. You know that there's always a a line, a key uh, to unlock that person. Right. And I am not. I'm not an impressionist, but occasionally I've had to try to do voices for this podcast. And that, that's the key line for me for William Hurt. Man, if you only were getting paid for this podcast, <laughs> it would make it even better. Hey, who are you? Hi, I'm Carla. I'm Craig. And, uh, this is Craig's List episode. He's got to look for it. He never looking prepares. Looking for it, looking for it. <laughs> I've started writing it down in my notes at least. So I have that. No, that's the conversation. That's the wrong movie. Oh. Uh, this is episode number 50. Yeah. Oh, Carla, we are halfway there. Woo. We're halfway there. This is ep- uh, episode 50, movie number 51 on Craigslist. This is a 1988 film directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. and starring William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, and in her Oscar-nominated and winning performance, Ms. Gina Davis. The movie is based on the Ann Tyler novel, and it's called The Accidental Tourist. Accident. Tool. <laughs> Oops. And today we are live. We are live in Venice, California, which <laughs> we're is actually, live in our in our lives. We're live in our lives. <laughs> uh, we're in Venice, California, which is actually just a neighborhood of Los Angeles. This is part of Los Angeles, actually. It's not an incorporated city like Santa Monica. Why don't you bring in our guest before you ask him questions? Well, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Uh, our guest, our guest, this is killing him. This is this is killing him. <laughs> yes, uh, but he's been very polite. You know, he knows the uh, he knows the routine from Spontaneous Nation. You know, <laughs> like there is a specific time that you're to be brought on, and uh, you know him from Touch Touch Television shows. Uh, if you watch Touch Television, which is when uh, people come out and touch you from the TV, it's my favorite. Uh, time. You know him from such television shows as The Good Place. Brooklyn Nine Nine, and such films as Kong Skull Island and the upcoming Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> and uh, you also, if you're a fan of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, you probably know him as Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, <laughs> and his name is Mark Evan Jackson. We're not getting paid for this podcast. <laughs> that was a question I had from several minutes ago. Uh, you bookmark that, and that yeah. was. That's the first thing I wanted to touch on. No, in exchange for the podcast, uh, you're making us dinner and Correct. we're recording at your house. So, yeah, you we're, give us free sodas. Yeah, we're getting, sodas. we're getting everything. We're drinking Fago sodas. It's true. They're delicious. From Detroit, Michigan. Correct. Yeah. Detroit when you were zone. doing your intro, I drank some of yours and it's just as good as mine. I love a grape soda. Mark's having an orange. Mm hmm. I'm having rock and rye. Rock and rye. Rock and rye. Oh, so good. The fridge also includes uh, vanilla cream, a cream <gasps> soda, uh, Fago Red Pop, which mm. is a flavor that uh, no one's ever had, no one's ever made before as far as I know. Yeah. It's a very unusual. There's one in the Carolinas called Cheerwine. I have one of those in the fridge as well. You have a Cheerwine? Yeah. yeah. But that's different than Red Pop. Cheerwine is closer in my mind to a Mr. Pibb or a, uh, yeah. a uh, Dr. Pepper. Do you know cheer wine? I don't. But it's oh. very red. We'll drink it today. Yes. Oh, yum. yum. We are loading up on I'm sugary sodas. so hyper. <laughs> Venice, California is a neighborhood of the city of Los Angeles. Oh. It's, uh, Thank you. Whereas like Marina Del Rey, half a block that way, is an unincorporated area. Okay. So like if you were to call the police there, the sheriffs would come. The not sheriffs the, of Marina Del Rey. Well, like L.A. County Sheriff. Oh, I see. Not uh, LAPD. Yes. Whereas Santa Monica is its own city. Culver City is its own city. Burbank is its own city. Venice is just a neighborhood of like Los, An of Los Angeles in the same way, I suppose, like Los Feliz or Atwater Village. Yeah. Is. That's strange because I did notice as we got into Venice the, the – Crime? The crime. The <laughs> huge crime wave. <laughs> uh, no, the, the traditional blue LA street sign. So I'm like, we're in LA mm -hmm. here. Yeah. But I think of it as a, uh, as its own city. Cause it's so cool. Uh, Mark, what, what a get to get you on the Craigslist Crazy. podcast. I don't know if that's true at all. Uh, I'm honored though, especially as somebody that knows so little about cinema, <laughs> um, or anything. Uh, and to be a part of, uh, halfway to what I assume is your divorce. Um, yes. is a, this is a momentous occasion. Yeah. What a vantage point. Halfway yeah. to half, the, knowing that it's the exact halfway point mm -hmm. toward a divorce. You, yeah. know, you rarely have that amount of foresight. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, I look forward to uh, finding what information we, we glean from today. <laughs> when we ran into you in Detroit, te technically Ferndale, Michigan that is where is we correct, were at yeah. the time well, for the Detroit Improv Festival. Maybe the best improv festival in the country. I like that idea. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to throw that. that out there. Uh, we've done it two, I've done it, I think three of the last four years and two years in a row with Carla and it's so fun and 
all of our friends from Los Angeles that we never get to see in LA mm-hmm. <laughs> are in Detroit for the weekend. So it's just a great time of hanging out and drinking. But we ran into you one of many times that weekend on the street court and we're like, what, why haven't we had Mark on, on Craigslist before? He and hates we, everything. <laughs> he hates everything. He's the perfect guest. Uh, Carla is always looking for an ally. So. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, we've talked about it since the beginning having you, but you're a really busy guy. That's yes. completely false. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks that. Everybody thinks like, oh, you're on everything, which uh, I'm very thankful for the direction in which things are headed, but my phone doesn't ring for weeks. <laughs> Truly. Well, yeah. we have one we have to do next week, too, so <laughs> Great, okay. if the experience is good for you. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> but even running down some of the options, some of the upcoming movies, uh, you didn't seem to have that much familiarity with what they were, or you've like, I've heard of that, I'm not sure what that is, or sure. like I have a vague idea of what that is. You're not necessarily a movie guy. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know what I am, but that's the <laughs> issue. Um, I've talked about this in the past. I don't... I don't know anything about uh, uh, history or art or m- movies or even like seminal television. Um, and I haven't any excuse. I don't have any idea what I'd be doing instead. It's not like I'm so deep down the world of wooden boats that uh, like my knowledge of that is so encyclopedic. Um, there are definitely like seminal benchmark canon movies books everything that is like yeah i mean i guess i've heard of that (laughs) (laughs) that actually makes me feel so relieved to hear you say that because i feel the same way about music and a lot of tv i haven't seen and i'm like i don't know what i was doing when i was supposed to be listening to that nirvana record that everybody talks about oh for sure my nieces and nephews uh who are you know in generally in their 20s now i'll be like oh i like this song who is this and they'll be like queen like why don't you know that like this is we are the champion everyone knows um it's i don't know why what i've been doing instead yeah i think it's fine you know i it's believe me sometimes it's more of a curse to know uh all this trivial shit uh but you know from an early age i just started memorizing facts writing down charts and then and with movies and music just being a completist if anybody ever made a top 100 list these are the 100 movies to see before you die i saw them all oh wow. you know? okay so uh carla what, what would you say is the most famous like iconic movie of all time that you have not seen um the christmas you've... one it's a wonderful life it's a wonderful life you've never seen that Oh, bits and pieces? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Okay. I've never sat down and watched it top to bottom. Ditto. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. How about for you, Mark? Most famous movie you've never seen? Um, Citizen Kane? Uh, I have seen Citizen Kane. Okay. In fact, I've seen it recently. Oh. Um, it was on a, it was offered on a plane. I've seen it several times. Okay. Um, but, uh, um, I, I was gonna say the very same about, um, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, I know wow. a handful of speeches from that. There are things that I've seen in bits and pieces. Um, uh, Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, mm. um, old stuff like that. You know, yeah. Like OG cinema, but, um. OG Simpson. OG, OG Simpson. Oh man. Please Sorry. tell me there's a DJ out there named OG Simpson. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm having, uh, have you seen Star Wars? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Braveheart. No. Okay. Is that iconic? No. Yeah, it won the best picture, but uh <laughs> no. yeah. What's your favorite movie of all time? Um 
it depends on what we're talking about. Okay. Like, uh, my, the, the movie that I could recite verbatim right now is Home Alone. Um, <laughs> yes. I love, I love Home Alone and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Um, Oh my God. Those are my favorites. You and I are so on the same page. <laughs> Carla, uh, buys these cool little pins with, uh, movie images on them, like famous iconic characters yeah. or mm. quotes or stuff like that. Uh, we'll have to. Patty Lapel. Oh gosh. Patty Lapel is the artist? Mm-hmm. Or that's the name of the business? That's the name of the business. Okay. We'll have to is post that, a link is that to based that. Based on anything? Um, like a person? Patty LaBelle. Okay. But for LaPelle. Patty LaPelle yeah. in this case. Okay. No, it's good. It's good. It's painful. It's uh it's the girls from the basketball team, the old lady basketball team. Oh, the pistol shrimps? shrimps? Yeah, the owners on there. So cool. yeah. <laughs> Patty LaPelle. <laughs> uh anyways, I get it now. I just lost my uh Buzz's girlfriend wolf pin. <laughs> oh yeah. You had a Buzz Buzz your girlfriend wolf. Woof, yeah. It said woof, and it was just her face. No clothes on anybody. Sickening. (laughs) (laughs) And when you were telling me, when you were showing me the pens that you were thinking about buying, and one said Buzz's girlfriend, woof, I had no idea what you were talking about. (laughs) No idea what you were talking about. Which is crazy. Uh, So I did see Home Alone, I think, on video the year after it came out, and that's it. That's So that's... Oh, you should go back. It should be on your list. (laughs) So good. It's a fantastic film. Okay. Um, Others, like... Uh, so old school films for me, uh, things are Animal House, Blues Brothers, Stripes. Um, sure. Uh, Night Shift is a movie I used to watch a lot. Oh, yeah. That's Henry a good one. Winkler and, uh, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Okay. I keep confusing that one with the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell one. What was that called? Swing Shift. Okay. Which is not a funny movie. All right. Um, and then, but like, uh, movies that I love, like I like some of the early Jason Bourne stuff. If those mm-hmm. movies are on TV. Sure. There are a handful of movies that if I turn on the television onto HBO and no matter where the movie it is, I'll sit down and watch the rest. Hunt for Red October is a movie like that for me. I mm. just realized when we were in San Francisco and we went to what's his name's workshop. I don't know. Oh, Adam, uh, Adam, Savage. Adam Savage. Yeah. You and I were the ones who were looking at the Jason Bourne. Oh, yeah. The different uh, passports, passports and, and guns and, money. and that like safety deposit box or whatever it was. He has the safety deposit box from the Bourne Identity from the very first movie. The movie used the screen used prop. He also has uh, the bank bag, the red bank bag that Jason Bourne puts all that stuff in. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and the garbage can, I think, that it, that it was. You're right, the, the garbage can. Because <laughs> you and I were standing there together looking the, at it like, what is going on? It's the on? coolest thing in the world to me. And how many times a year would you say you go out to the movies? Oh, um, not as much as I should. Like, mm-hmm. there are things even as we speak that it's like, oh, I haven't seen movies that friends are in or made. Um, but probably uh, 20 or 25. Okay. I mean, decent. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Maybe yeah. 20. <laughs> um, but yeah, things will come and go. I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, for instance. And I know that that's uh, something that people, that should, I, especially as an improviser, I should have it in my in my sure it's going to come up at some point yeah Yeah. Yeah. uh you make a good point which is like uh, as somebody working in improv comedy particularly when we were at the second city Mm -hmm. uh you do need to have a general 
knowledge of the big things going on in the news and in pop culture For at sure. that time because they're going to come up as suggestions. People are going to make that references and you don't want it to go over your head. Now, you can have the most surfacey knowledge of it. Right. You know, like it doesn't need to go that deep, but you just need to have a general familiarity with what's out there. I can remember Mark Warzeka, uh He was in the cast uh, right when I left Detroit. And uh, the internet was just becoming everywhere. Yeah. And he talks about, because it wasn't the case that uh, when I was in the cast, uh, but within the next year, you could get a suggestion, go backstage, Google it real quick, and come out and have kind of bullet points on Amazing. what it meant to be, you know, the Peloponnesian War. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't often cheat like that, but that just didn't exist when I was in the cast. We had a sketch in 1999 at the Second City ETC called Timeline, and we, because it was the millennium was about to, was about to turn Y2K. Remember that when the, when the whole world shut down and Y2K. This is McBrayer <laughs> and the 1920s, right? You, and he would. Uh, yes, I remember this. This is with uh, Sue Gillen, Angela Shelton, David Pompey, Pompey. Martin Garcia, yep. and Jack McBrayer were the rest the of the cast. Yeah, and uh, you you start with a scene in 1999, typical family, couple kids coming in and out. And you're just making a lot of pop culture references of whatever is going on in the news. Uh, and then we would ask for the year that an audience member was born, which would typically be somewhere in the 60s or 70s mm -hmm. uh, at that time. And then we'd reset the scene and replay it in that year. Uh, and so like Martin's thing was always – or Jack's thing was always a movie reference of like, hey, dad, can I get uh, – how many dollars a movie cost at the time? You know, can I get 25 cents to go see sure, It's a yeah. Wonderful Life? You know, uh, and you try to come up with a, an appropriate reference for the year. Everybody else in the cast, because I'm on stage the whole time as the dad, everybody else in the cast got to go backstage and look at their cheat sheets, mm -hmm. which they had written out. Yeah. Uh, I, the audience saw me the whole time, so I never had, uh, to leave. Uh, so I had to memorize a news event from, for to the year every year from 1900 to 1999 something notable or something deliberately obscure and hilarious uh if if there was something notable like 69 would be man landing on the moon okay. you know uh 63 would be jfk right. you know uh but if there wasn't anything big for the year then i would go for something obscure and Amazing. hilarious yeah huh? And would you tag it with, which totally happened, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> just to sling your knowledge around? I wish you had been my director. Because I would have that was a fun that. show. I remember that show well. That was a fun they show. They still do that uh, setup, that structure uh, in Second City shows now. Hey, well, good for them. You know, Second City owns my material in perpetuity <laughs> for the rest of uh, rest of time. So uh, good for them. They should keep using it. It's a great bit. It is a good bit. So there's a movie, though, that we're supposed to talk about. A what? <laughs> a what? <laughs> a, w a what? <laughs> we haven't gotten to that yet. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, today's movie, Mark, uh, is, as I said before, 1988's The Accidental Tourist. Had you seen this before? I had not. What did you know about it? Uh, did you have a vague idea of what it was? No, I don't know that I did. I, yeah. um, I think uh, um, just the spirit of it took me to a place of like um, ordinary people. You know, like I thought it, I think just the genre of like, oh, this is going to be a relationship movie uh, set to a lot of strings, um, <laughs> you know, like a lot of orchestral music. Uh, but that, no, that was it. I could vaguely picture um, 
Is it uh, William Hurt? Yes. I could vaguely picture that uh, this was a movie that he was in, but no, I knew nothing, and I've watched it uh, twice since then. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for doing Well, that. yes and no. Uh, <laughs> I watched it with uh, Beth uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then yesterday I was like, well, I don't remember anything. <laughs> and so I watched it again yesterday, and I was like, oh, that's why I don't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh! Oh, Carla's eyes just lit up, even more so than the Home Alone reference. Carla got excited. Uh, Carla, had you seen this movie before? I have a memory of watching this movie, but I did not remember anything about this movie. Do you think I made you see it before? No, I saw this in college because one of my teachers is in the very first scene of the film. He's the guy who sits no next way. to him. Yeah. The big dude in the middle. Yeah. Sorry, I'm so His fat. His name's Bradley Mott. Bradley Mott, who is a well-known Chicago actor oh, because yes. uh, probably around the same time I was in that show for Second City, History of Paints Itself, we were nominated for local awards and Bradley Mott, I feel like, was always nominated yes. for best local actor and he would often win. Yeah. Like he played like a... Pseudolus in The Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the yes, Forum. Yes, he did. Yeah. And he he's like, he does a lot of Shakespeare, I think, yeah. in Chicago. But he he had lived in L.A., did this and a couple other movies, then moved back to Chicago, started teaching at Columbia, and then I had him as a teacher. And I was like, oh, I want to see this guy in this movie. That's all I remember about the movie. So yeah, I thought this was a comedy. Yeah. Because that first scene is really funny. It is. I think. <laughs> I think. I think that first scene is really funny. And it it's is, certainly a very memorable part for a one-scene character. Yes. Like he, ma- he makes a good impression in that role. Yeah. It and, feels uh, like a, uh, it's comedic in, in the way that in the 1980s, a mayonnaise commercial may have been. <laughs> oh no. Um, oh Craig, you're in oh, trouble. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, mayonnaise commercial. <laughs> I don't know if clarinets are playing throughout it to let you know that it's funny. Um, but, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, it's fine. I, I I didn't hate this movie, I, and I'm sure your friend is nice. Um, I thought I thought that that opening scene was really funny. Uh, yeah, because I mean it's just about this large man sitting next to William Hurt on a plane and bugging him when William Hurt's written a whole book about how to avoid the person sitting next to you on the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, let me give you, give you a brief overview because I think this is a movie. It's almost 30 years old at this point. It was pretty well regarded at the time. Oscar nominee for best picture, mm-hmm. for adapted screenplay, music, I think. for the music of John Williams, young upstart composer, Johnny Williams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, for supporting actress, which Gina Davis won. Uh, but I don't think it's a movie that has really entered any sort of pantheon. I don't think many people very, uh, I don't people, do not talk about this movie very much. Uh, so I, I'm probably regarding it higher than, than the critical consensus and the public consensus, mm-hmm. I think. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I think everybody has like kind of like that middle brow, you know, drama, uh, that just hits you in the right place that, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's a little maudlin, maybe it's a little sentimental, but it's the movie that gets you, you know, do you have one that's like that, Carla? Wow. That gets, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I Because you have the heart of, you have a heart of stone. Uh, six degrees of separation. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, like that was a, you know, Broadway play, you know, wait, what was the question? I was just thinking of something that was that makes me really sad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is maudlin. Is that what you said? 
I don't think it's maudlin. You don't? No. Hmm. I think it's really sad, that movie. Yeah, it is. It makes it is. me but I mean, like that's got like a high pedigree, I think, you know, this is more kind of, it's based on a novel by Ann Tyler that was a, a bestseller. I guess, uh, and when I say middle brow, I guess, the, you know, things adopted from books, you know, that are kind of, uh, you know, for middle aged for, you know, the movie that your mom and dad go okay, to see. Well, not you know. to be a dick, but six degrees of separation is adapted from a play <laughs> Okay. that my mom and dad would have gone to see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I and get it. Stockard Channing was in it. So, <laughs> Mark, what is that movie for you? Um, this is a fascinating dynamic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's just gone on? Like everything um, you just said didn't disprove anything that I just said. So I wait, hear Mark, you. Go I ahead. Hear you. What's a movie that? Uh, I think I'm not framing the question well. <laughs> um, in that case, three, I, three days of the Condor. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a legitimately great spy thriller. Yeah, I love you that know. movie. Uh, I guess I'm just talking about like a sentimental movie that like, uh, that people kind of make fun of, but oh. maybe, you know. I guess for me, it's Home Alone. <laughs> Steel Magnolias. Steel Mag. People make fun of that. I think okay. Steel Magnolias is more of what I'm talking about. You know, movies with, movies with vulnerability are easy, <laughs> are easy to mock. Uh, you could not have, like, you could have given me a choice of 10 movies that Mark would talk about. <laughs> you never and would have come have up with never Home Alone, Home Alone, or Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. No, neither of those. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I love it though. Uh, but I think movies that have vulnerability are easy to mock. If you look at the IMDb Top 250, which, granted, are movies that probably mostly male nerds who like to vote for things on the internet are voting for, you get a lot of movies with like a veneer of cool to them, you know. Mm. And there's not a lot of movies that are sentimental or vulnerable, you know, mm. because in, in revealing that this is something that moves you, you're kind of opening yourself up you know, sure. for, for mockery in a way. And I think I'll get into like why this movie makes me particularly emotional, uh, in, in a bit. But, uh, let me give you a brief overview of the, uh, of the plot of the accidental tourist. Please. William Hurt, uh, writes <laughs> guidebooks under the guise of the accidental tourist. These are for business travelers who don't like to travel. And it's basically uh, avoiding anything, uh, cultural <laughs> or anything that's, uh, specific about the area it's going to. It's basically how to stay in, in your own comfort zone, to eat American food when you go to London, uh, et cetera, bringing the fewest amount of baggage with you, how to avoid uh, contact with other people, et cetera. And he kind of lives his life that way too. He's a very emotionally, um, walled off person. And he and his wife, played by Kathleen Turner, uh, had uh, experienced a tragedy. Their son, who was maybe about 13, was uh, was killed in a, uh, a shooting at a restaurant. And so they're kind of still in <laughs> Mark. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so they have a dead son, a dead son that they're mourning, and at the very beginning of the movie, they decide to uh, to separate, and you kind of pick up that in bits and pieces in flashbacks. And uh, but he's got his uh, his boy's uh, dog, which is an adorable Welsh corgi uh, named Edward. And uh, Edward's being a little disobedient, and so he gets some doggy training courses from. Uh, the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl, uh, <laughs> Gina Davis, as, as Muriel Pritchett. And so gradually over the course of this movie, um, 
William Hurt's character Macon uh, kind of like undergoes a very gradual thawing, you know. So it's it's about a two hour movie to see this guy move about you know five degrees on the emotion on the emotional <laughs> scale. Does that seem accurate to you? <laughs> I'm, I would check the running time because it's easily double that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two hour and one minute movie, Mark. Uh, but I think William Hurt gives an amazing performance in this movie and I'm very, very moved by him. And, uh, I like Gina Davis in it quite a bit too. You also get to see, uh, Macon's eccentric family played by Ed Bigley Jr., David Ogden Steers and Amy Wright. And then his publisher, uh, played by young Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm. America's sweetheart. <laughs> Do you like me some Bill Pullman? Uh, so, what, what did you guys think of the the cast of this movie and the the overall story? Um, the story, I, I mean, I, I'm certain we'll talk about it. It's it's obviously about um, uh, transformation and cocoons and uh, and getting out of your shell or what have you. Um, the cast is sort of fascinating. Um, it's definitely a movie of its of its period, right? Like it it the the pacing of it is uh, gentle. Um, <laughs> uh, That's a good way to say it. Gentle uh, pacing, yeah. Kathleen Turner feels as though she's in a different movie to me. Um, yep. Uh, by which I mean I, it feels as though she's in a stage play. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, she feels... Uh, um, I'm sure she's great. It feels really overwrought to me. The, I, the I will agree dialogue, that she she's probably the weakest part of the movie she's terrible (laughs) (laughs) which i said several times when we were watching it yeah okay um the movie like that that was a comedic kind of cold open on the airplane um we see him packing up a bag and i think it's interesting that he says only bring one book and he brings two um that seems like and then he leaves later you know at the end of the movie leaves that big novel behind Mm -hmm. um which i think is interesting but the um i don't know they he comes home from a trip uh, at the top of the movie and comes into the kitchen and she's sitting waiting for him. They use each other's names, which took me out of it immediately. Like it would be like you're saying, hello, Craig, how was your flight? Hello, Carla. My mm-hmm. flight was okay. And then seconds in, she goes, you know, it's never easy when someone puts a bullet through the skull of your 13 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's like my quote from that would have been like, Jesus. Um, like, that's some exposition. Um, so it, uh, I don't know. Her sitting there, it, it, I believe it's in that scene that she reveals that she wants a separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the energy when he came through the door. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that took me out of it a little bit. They also blocked that scene very strangely. They did. The, the posts of the chairs were really prominent yeah. in both of those overs. And they were both facing out, like sitting side by side. It did feel like a stage play, which mm-hmm. I thought was very strange and really took me out of the scene. Hmm. And it made me uncomfortable. Maybe that was the point, but it didn't, it didn't make me um, empathize with either of them. I think it's an interesting way to start a movie. Where, like, here's a couple that you don't know from Adam, and immediately you're being told they're breaking up. You mm-hmm. know, and you get to kind of, kind of piece together like what what's going on in this lives. movie for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of the podcast. <laughs> really? Have we started? This is it. <laughs> this is it. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's it's recording, right? Please check. Oh dear. 
Yes, yes. Oh, we've, we've got the first half hour. I'm so not far. going through another uh, half hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about Gina Davis, though? I mean, she brings so much uh, life and uh, and spirits into Macon's life and to ours watching this movie. She's a she's a troubled lady. Um, <laughs> uh, Gina I, Davis or Muriel Pritchett? Muriel Pritchett. Okay. Um, I think that she brought something really. Uh, I, I agree. I think that she was. You know. Um, uh, you believe that I, I know people like that. You believe that those people exist. Um, I think that she embodied that that very quirky. However, he puts it later in the movie, like this odd, odd woman or whatever. Um, it. Um, I was fascinated to read later that she won an Oscar for that role. Mm-hmm. Um, do we just make more movies now? Like it didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean that earnestly. Like uh, she was great. That wouldn't be nominated. A role like that wouldn't be nominated today, I don't mm-hmm. think. And maybe it just it's because there's more bandwidth. I mean, and certainly, I also would argue that I think we're in a phase of the Academy where, like, it needs to be a stunt. You have to play someone that's gone through something terrible, or you have yourself have to make some physical transformation in your body, or whatever. Like, you have to embody a terrible person, or a saintly person, mm-hmm. or. Uh, lose 40 pounds or whatever. Sure. There was a run right around this time, though, of supporting actresses who were all playing kind of the same person. <laughs> really? So her, Mira Sorvino, right? In Mighty Aphrodite. Uh, Marissa Tomei. My Cousin Vinny. So it's like all of these kind of oddball women mm-hmm. sure. who like say what they what they mean or what they want to say. And, all, and it's like this, you know, this huge deal to see a woman... Supporting actress traditionally goes to a rising star. See a woman, period. You know, is that true? It traditionally goes to a woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it usually goes to a rising star. You know, so Gina Davis. Uh, she we had already talked about her in Tootsie, which came out in '82. Mm-hmm. I believe that was her first movie. She'd done some stuff on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of broke out in The Fly, which was two years before this, and was uh, dating Jeff Goldblum at the time. Uh, maybe married to him. So I think she, you know, she was a relatively new star and this was kind of like a good spotlight role for her. She's so. very charismatic in it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, she makes really interesting choices. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, nothing extraordinary. Nothing that I haven't seen. Uh, to be fair though, I, you know, I even said this, this is probably a Carlos quote that I'm spoiling, but, I did say it. she's like the original manic pixie dream girl. Yes. Then in, in later years, you get Mira Sorvino, you get uh, Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman, and Kate Winslet, who are you know all kind Is of playing. Andy McDowell on that list. Sure. Maybe I don't know. She's not. Oh ma- yeah, and four weddings and a funeral. I guess she's kind of. I like guess she the, is. Yeah. As manic as Andy McDowell can. I get. stand by my statement. Question. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, but she just wasn't good enough to save this movie for me. Okay. Uh, and I really wanted to, uh, after that first scene and him packing and that voiceover, I was like, Oh, cool. This is kind of like up in the air, like a business guy who is, you know, going to meet a bunch of people and, and yeah. you know, will be changed somehow. I did not expect it to be as heavy and dramatic, heavy and dramatic as it was based on the first five minutes of the movie. And it's about him being closed off and it's about him being a homebody too. Like he doesn't want to travel. Also this stuff with his siblings. I was like, is this a different movie? Like, I don't know what's happening here. It's an X-Files episode where they uh, sleep in the trunk and stuff. Uh, It's, (laughs) it's that his family is weird. 
Um, it's a, so, by the way, is his character. The character of Macon yes. is a really undesirable person for two women to be clamoring on. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. He's, uh, he is expressionless. He is s- certainly on the spectrum somewhere. Uh, he's the most high functioning, I suppose, of his siblings who are, you know, uh, direction challenge, direction. They're all 40 ish and still living in the house that they grew up in. Right. Yes. Um, they only eat ma- uh, baked potatoes, it seems, because everything else that the, that their sister cooks for them, you know, the meats are of questionable doneness and they're worried about, <laughs> uh, trichinosis and, and, uh, various poisons. Um, so it's a really unusual group. And yet somehow in that group, Bill Pullman playing the publisher is like, who's she? Yeah. Like he's like, hmm, you're, something about your sister. And it's like, oh, that's weird to me. Uh, that stands out to me as something odd. Right. That he would go, that he'd be so instantly enamored with Rose. Um, you know, this like really strange lady. Yeah. Like we really, for that whole premise to work, we really need to see them more and see them just together alone and do more and, and do understand more than like alphabetize the canned goods. Yes, exactly. And I understand did, the attraction. In watching this movie, I had the feeling that subplots had been cut out of it. Oh, interesting. Because there's also a thing when he starts, like it kind of jump cuts to him being a regular part of Muriel's life. Once they finally, after this kind of gradual courtship of, her uh, taking the dog on walks and finally mm-hmm. he kind of opens up to her and they, they sleep together. And then it kind of jumps cut, jump cuts to him being her boyfriend, mm-hmm. you and know, like stepdad effectively to yes. her seven year old boy. Yeah. And he knows her next door neighbors and everything, but were they prostitutes. They felt like prostitutes to me. <laughs> it I think, seemed like they were, I think they're supposed to be twin girls who are wearing hot pants. Okay. But oh. I, don't, I don't think they're prostitutes. I was no. wondering if, uh, I was wondering if it was a way to say like this neighbor, Neighborhood is so seedy that her neighbors are prostitutes. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know. I thought I thought it was that as well. I, yeah, I think there's probably more scenes to clarify that. I think there's probably more scenes with the family uh, to get a sense of of who they are. Well. I was after we watched it. I was like, "Oh, it's because it was based on a book, and there was a million things left out." That but could I, be true. I too. went on IMDb, and all the reviews were like a very faithful adaptation <laughs> of the book. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, maybe not then." Yeah. Uh, so, rather than finding William Hurt's performance moving, did, did you find it frustrating? It seemed like he was actively trying to do nothing, and I mean that as an acting thing. Like yeah. sometimes you deliberately try to not move your face um and as you react to things um i f- like that was present in the scene on the airplane next to the the big dude um but it seemed like uh like he was aghast like oh no this is happening this is my nightmare but then it continued throughout the movie like i th- i feel like he was actively you know that boom had to be directly out of frame under his chin cuz he was whispering <laughs> Yeah. A lot of it. And, um, I guess that reads as, as playing somebody that's carrying this heavy burden of having, uh, a, uh, a bullet put through the skull of your 13 year old. Um, and they mention it. It's weird to me. Um, and it happens even in that first flashback where he's yeah. like, yes, that is my son. Um, I don't know. Like, I think he's so good in that. Like it's, it, and you, you flashback to, to I was him. Moved. I was moved by him that. having to yeah. identify the body, you know, and he's, you know, you can see his, he's moved in his eyes, but mm-hmm. if, like he's got to be restrained, you know, in his voice. I thought in that scene, uh, cause he does have a moment where he kind of cracks, his face breaks and he starts to 
you know, get choked up. Uh-huh. And then also the, the last scene, I feel like the smile that he gives her at the end, it's like the payoff to how long we've had to sit there and watch him, <laughs> uh, be miserable mm-hmm. <laughs> or not, not feel anything, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I was moved at the end when he smiled because maybe I had been put through two hours of this sulking guy. Yeah. I love, love, love the ending, but we'll, we'll get to that. It does seem like a, yeah, like a, a, a notable payoff mm-hmm. and like a transformation for sure. Um, the, uh, I thought his performance was good. I thought it was consistent and, and, and decent, but, um, I'm just not sure that the, that the film itself was, you know, I don't know. It, He's a really misanthropic character. Um, I I understand the role of Gina Davis's character. Like she's looking to re- provide for her son as much as anything. Her son, who's, I mean, just a bubble boy, right? Like he's allergic <laughs> to the world and, and is really unusual. Yeah. Without being like uh, in- interestingly uh, charismatic. Um, uh, so it's. I don't know, like she's trying to find a father for her son, I feel like, and she's going about that and she sees him. She comes on strong right away. Strong right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I, this is my name and I'll be here when you come back. And when he he comes back, she's dressed super cute in her Madonna socks and right for 1988. Very cute. (laughs) Um, and she's obviously gussied up and stuff and it works and she, you know, gets him to, to be part of her life. Um, I just, I don't know if I buy it. Like, yeah, I agree. She comes over to drop a note off saying I can't come to dinner and then, uh, has a bit of a catharsis. He comes out of his shell and says, my, I, here's why I can't hang out with you and your seven year old boy. My, my son was killed. He, uh, they put a bullet through his skull. (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) Um, so, and then, then he breaks down and she comforts him and, uh, and it's really, touching and the characters come together and then it, uh, I think does become romantic. Um, but, uh, you're right. Like then we dash fairly far forward into the quotidian, like past the milk kind of stuff. Like he sure. lives there now. Um, and then we do see Kathleen Turner again. Right. And she's like, I hear you living with someone. Um, <laughs> you're doing it. He has to play Kathleen Turner at the end of this. Um, I don't know. It's, um, can I, okay. So, oh, I know that this is something I've said on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. So people who think that I have a feminist chip on my shoulder are not going to be happy to hear this today. <laughs> uh, but I have to say that it drives me crazy in a movie when we only get to experience the women through how they're affecting the, the man. And so neither of, neither Kathleen Turner nor um, Muriel, uh, Muriel, whatever, Gina Davis's characters feel real to me because their, their emotions and their, their actions are so all over the place that I don't get a sense of who they actually are supposed to be as characters. I only get a sense of how he feels about them hmm. in each scene. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I, um, I thought it was, I don't know if this is, uh, echoing what you're saying or the flip side of what you're saying. Um, I found myself disappointed watching it both times that, uh, the notion of him being alone wasn't really a thing. Right. Cause later in the movie, he's like, I'm going back to her or I'm going back to her. So it's like, you're, you're set as two. You can choose either woman, but you have to be with a woman. Right. Um, in this, you know, like when they were in Paris, his back, I don't know how you want to do this. He goes to Paris and throws his back out. Uh, um, 
Muriel, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, comes along on this trip uh, uninvited and, uh, you know, initially sort of unwelcome and then worms her way in as she does. Um, and he, then his wife comes back and uh, Kathleen Turner's character comes back and, and they're together. And I don't know, it, it takes me out of it a little bit. It's like, is he really deciding between the two of them in this, you know, right. while they have adjoining rooms in Paris? Right. Strange to me. Well, and then Kathleen character, Kathleen character, Kathleen Turner's character doesn't want to be with him in the beginning. The next time we see him, she obviously does want to be with him. We have no idea what's happened to her right. in the, in the meantime. Sure. No sense of why she's changed. And so it's very confusing, I think, as an audience to like buy anything that she says after that because we haven't gotten to even get a little story about like something that she might have gone through while she they were apart. She even offers it up. She says at one point, you know, yes. you haven't asked me if I slept with anybody uh, while we were separated. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like the whole, it's, he's like, yeah. And she goes, I think, I would think you'd be curious. He's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. And Muriel, I don't think we ever get a scene with her, with her son where he's not there. Right. Right. I have no idea what kind of mom she is. Like she's. I think we know what kind of, <laughs> but you know, like I don't really know if she, cause I thought, Oh, she loves her son. But then in Paris, she like just left him with a couple people. She said, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, so is this about like, I don't know what this is about. Like, I don't know who you, who your character is supposed to be. They established that he's self-reliant. Like he goes to doctor's appointments on his own and things. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of self-reliant out of this like desperate life threatening necessity because he mm-hmm. needs to go to the doctor so often. But it, like, how long are they in Paris? I think that his recovery was weeks. Like it was, you know, it was long enough for his, uh, for him to call home and find that Rose is now running the publishing firm. Yes. Um, and that his wife has time to fly to Paris mm-hmm. and be there for some time. Um, I was a little concerned, by the way, that she was trying to poison him. Uh, <laughs> I thought so too. Uh, Cause she kept, she was, uh, not she, that kind of movie. No, but she like had him in a drug induced coma. Uh, like she's like, Oh, you're just waking up. Take this pill. Uh-huh. Yeah. Little Munchausen by proxy. But then he doesn't. He, there's a whole scene where they close up on his hand and him spitting it out and like not telling her that he's not taking it. Yeah. So it makes you think that something really strange is happening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever I get ganged up on, I, guess, <laughs> I, I don't mean to do that. I, I, I hate no, to be no. critical of films because I, I plan on being in tons of terrible films. Um, <laughs> that's your career goal. Yes. I mean, that's stated. I, I full on sat down, saw the first scene. He was packing. The voiceover was going and I was like, I'm going to really like this movie. I was really open to it. I promise. I was open to it too. Yeah. I'm great. I'm fun. <laughs> Carla, why do I like this movie? Uh, because Craig has a, a weird, not a weird, he has a sensitivity to father-son, mm. sad father-son stories. Interesting. I think. Yes. That's part of it. That's part of it? Yeah. I, th- I think I'm also an emotionally withdrawn person. Oh. You know? I would like, never say that. I, I would never say that on a podcast. You would never say that to, <laughs> on a podcast, but, you know. Not with me. Uh, I... <laughs> You know, it, I'm somebody who, like, people have told me that it's hard to read me or understand, mm-hmm. like, what I'm thinking or feeling at, at different times, you mm-hmm. know. I'm probably on some sort of spectrum as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I just love the idea of this guy kind of, like, gradually, incrementally thawing over the course of this movie. Also, like, my first probably four or five girlfriends, like, had to, like, 
uh, like tell me that they liked me, kiss me for the first time, you know? So the idea of a woman pursuing a man who of like is just showing no, you know, no affinity for her whatsoever <laughs> and gradually breaking yeah. him out of his shell is like something that I can identify with mm. as well. And, uh, just, I just love the scene where he's been dating Muriel for a while. You know, he's warming up to her and her kid. And then he's walking Edward the Corgi down the street and sees, uh, the little boy, uh, and he's being bullied, you mm-hmm. know, and I was bullied at that age as well, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it was a terrible time in my life. And, uh, and then he sends, uh, Edward to run after the little boy and comfort him. And he, the little boy lights up, you know, and then, uh, they just go and hold hands and walk off together. And Carla looked at me in that moment and could see me crying, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I, just that scene just really gets me as just like a, a just a, a warm and sweet moment. And th- that dog is one of the best dog actors uh, <laughs> that, that you've seen in a movie. I had, I had his name. I think his name is Buck, maybe? Buck played Edward? Uh, I, ha- I had it a couple days ago. And Carla, is he still with us? Always. <laughs> in our hearts, um, yeah. The, uh, that is a very touching scene. One of the things I liked about the, the conclusion of that scene was that it seemed as though the child was unfazed completely because you hear him go like, Oh, Edward, that's a good boy. That's a good boy, Edward. And, uh, Megan gets up and is like, what was that all about? And like, Oh, it's just kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, he seemed really resilient to being bullied and being picked yeah. on. He's just happy to see his dog friend. <laughs> that's really sort of sweet. That is. And then the, the little accidental tourist, uh, voiceovers that recur throughout the movie are definitely kind of, uh, unsubtly pointing out the themes of the movie tour. He's like, you may end up picking up some other travelers along the way. You know? And at the end, I mean, he literally leaves his baggage behind. Yeah, that's yeah. wasteful. You know? But I, I, I like it. I mean, as a, uh, as an obvious metaphor, like it, it works for me. It sort of happens in two phases because I feel like, um, First of all, it was very interesting. I thought he was sneaking out of the Paris hotel room. Like, he didn't take the pill. He didn't take the sleeping mm-hmm. pill. He gets up. He gets dressed. He packs his bag. He leaves behind that big, thick novel. Um, so he's already jettisoning some of his dead weight. Um, but then he wakes up Kathleen Turner. I thought he was going to leave a note or sneak out or whatever because he was being so tiptoey about it. But then he uh, he wakes her up and says, I'm going back to Muriel. And she says, and she says, I knew what you were going to say. <laughs> and, uh, and so they have it out. Like they sort of have this very mature, like marriage is terrible, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. true. Um, kind of conversation, which was interesting, but yes, then he does go and he leaves his, his valise, his, his, uh, suitcase, uh, just on a wall somewhere, but then gets into a cab to go to the airport. I think mm-hmm. stumbling upon. The ghost of a son, the French ghost of a son. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and then seeing, uh, uh, Gina Davis at the, at the corner kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and did you, you kind of alluded to the score being too much or? I'll tell you what stood out. I knew, I knew immediately it was John Williams. Yeah. Uh, because it has an echoed theme, uh, from, Home Alone, which he did, I think, the very next year or the year earlier. Yeah, 1990, so two years later, yeah. yeah. Um, it's this inverted, like... Um, I, the second we turned it on, I said to Beth, like, 
that's from home alone. This must be John Williams. Wow. <laughs> um, it's a, like, it's an iconic thing. It must've been a phase he was going through yeah. at the time. Um, it's not overwrought. I don't feel, uh, I just knew that like, that was what my brain, when I thought of accidental tourist, it was like, Oh, this is going to be kind of a heartfelt, ordinary people. Um, yeah. Uh, um, uh, what was the movie? Um, I think these guys, it was the, six degrees of separation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Three days of the condor. I can't think of what it was, but it was, um, it was sort of a 30 something, the movie kind of thing. Uh, oh, sure. The uh, big chill, the big chill. Thank you. Which he did direct, which is also a Lawrence Kasdan yeah, movie yeah. I mean, with William Hurt. Yeah. Right. Um, I knew that was the, the sort of genre that I had in mind. He also directed French kiss. You love French kiss, which I have to say, because when we talked about soap dish, I said that that was my favorite Kevin Klein performance and it might be, but French kiss is definitely close to that. Yeah. This movie, by the way, one of the big selling points for this movie was that it was a reunion of the director and stars of Body Heat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hurt, Turner, and, and Kasdan. You know, uh, Body Heat was the kind of the movie that made all of them, uh, and that is a movie that we will be talking about on this podcast, really, as well. Yeah, Body um, Heat is in your top fifty. Body Heat is in my top fifty. All right, yeah. we'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Can't wait for you to improvise those scenes. And uh, William Hurt, by the way, not in a movie until he was 30. His first movie was Altered States in 1980. Wow. uh, But then, like, he was a big star, like, quickly. And I believe he was Oscar nominated. So he did Big Chill in 83, uh, Oscar nominated movie, big hit. And then he won in 85 for Kiss of the Spider Woman, nominated again for Children of a Lesser God in 86, nominated again for Broadcast News in 87. Uh, and then not nominated for this movie, probably because people had a little uh, William Hurt fatigue <laughs> at that point. But yeah. I think this is his best performance. It just occurred to me why I think that he's – so I had, was talking how I have this impression of him not being a nice person in real yeah. life. And I couldn't remember why. And I think it's because of Marley Matlin. I think that she has some tough stories about Oh, William yeah. Hurt. Because they dated as well when yeah. they were making that movie. Yeah. Mm. Now, does he play this guy in most of these films? No, I, I mean, he's an oddball actor, you know, because he kind of has leading man good looks, but he's, he's got the quirkiness of a weirdo middle-aged character mm-hmm. actor, you know. Yeah. Now he's kind of playing those roles. Uh, I think he's wonderful in One True Thing as well mm-hmm. with, uh, with Meryl Streep. Um, I mean, he's great in those other movies that he's, I mentioned. He's great in broadcast news. He's great in broadcast news. That's probably his best. I think. Yeah. I, I, and that's actually more of like a charming, like I'm a good looking guy who like everybody likes kind of thing, which maybe was maybe more of who he yeah. should have been playing. Broadcast news, not on my list, by the way, I think it's on a lot of people's lists. I do love that movie a lot. I think the, uh, the script, uh, by James O. Brooks for me is trying a little too hard throughout that, uh, throughout right. that movie. So that's the thing that that's the demerit that takes it off the list. But I do like that movie quite a bit. And, William Hurt, great in that as well. well. Let's go chronologically through the accidental tourist a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. Mm. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. <laughs> At the beginning when he has his voiceover of like, the business traveler should bring only what fits in a carry-on bag. Checking your bag. <laughs> it, it puts the lotion. <laughs> puts the- That's what oh I was uh, I'm not That's trying to do Buffalo Bill, but I'm probably getting in that territory. I said doing it in the, uh, in the house. Checking your bag is asking for trouble. And uh, Carla said, that's still true. 
Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is how Carla reads credits. Uh, Bo Welch. That's Catherine O'Hara's husband. <laughs> Production designer. Is that true? Production yeah. designer Bo Welch. Wow, cool. Yeah, he did um, Tim Burton movies early on. Beetlejuice. That's how they met. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> Produced by John Malkovich, by the way. Really? And then the co-writer of the screenplay, along with Lawrence Kasdan, Frank Galati, uh, who is a, uh, a Steppenwolf company member and directed many, many Steppenwolf productions. And this was the only script he ever wrote for a movie. Well, there's so. a John Malkovich There's connection. the Malkovich connection, yeah. Steppenwolf. Um, <laughs> after the scene with Bradley Mott uh, on the airplane, it cuts to have like a clearly like animated or early CGI shot of an airplane oh, take, yeah. taking off. And Carla said, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fake. <laughs> that's so fake. Um... After that first scene with Kathleen Turner, Carla said, I don't recognize that as real behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go to the movies with you. (laughs) Also, she's really bad in this. (laughs) Uh, Kathleen Turner, by the way, when this movie made, 34 years old. Okay. Oh. Feels... 55. <laughs> it's an odd thing to say because she, she's a beautiful woman. For sure. But she just has the gravitas and the voice of, of a much year. older woman. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and I think that's true even, you know, in Romancing the Stone and, uh, Body Heat and all those movies. She, I think that's one of the reasons why she was such a big star right away is she was kind of harking back to Lauren Bacall oh, specifically yeah. of like the husky voiced film yeah. Fatale. For you know? sure. And she's wonderful in Romancing the Stone and and she's War, War of the Roses. That's another one, right? A, oh, and I she's hated, great. hated but that movie. But she has to, well, whatever. But my point <laughs> is, is that she's very good at being very broad and very much of a lady. Sure. And so this was way too grounded, realistic of a role, I thought, for her to be playing. Yeah, I get that. Really miscast. She brought some stage to it, for sure. Yes. Can't we just try again? <laughs> <laughs> You're Why was it never right for us? Voice is so good. It sounds just like her. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I mean, she's stagey, and the scene is overwritten, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it, it was tough. Um, but watch the movie because you'll see that the chair posts on those ladder back chairs <laughs> so in that strange. breakfast room are prominent. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if it's meant to be. Like, so is that Bo Welch? Is that production designer Bo I Welch? Yes, it would be. Well, I mean, I that's know. the, that's the cinematographer. That's, you oh, know, like, okay. that's the director going, Oh, I want the, I want it to feel as though they're both on crosses. Right. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's prominent. very strange the way the whole thing is blocked looks, <laughs> in that scene. Uh, during that first scene with Kathleen Turner, you did say, unless you have a stone to romance me with, and then I'll stay. <laughs> That was in reference to something she said. Yes. But now I don't remember what she said. Well, she was making some sort of ultimatum of why oh. she was leaving or whatever. I have to, let's just say that I had a couple of glasses of wine before we watched this movie. I and I think I talk way too much in it. This might be the most Carlos quotes. So for let's, a movie. we have wow, to get through these. I will edit, I will edit as I go. Yeah. Uh, pretty heavy movie first five minutes. <laughs> I, like I think it. that's what it took a turn for you when you're like, oh, this isn't... Uh, this is not a comedy. You think it was when they mentioned that their 13-year-old had a <laughs> bullet through the skull? Why would some? Why would someone do that? Why do people do that? <laughs> yep, I think that was it. Carla notices things on the screen that I don't notice, and probably the filmmaker did not intend for you to notice either. Uh, a, uh, a refrigerator gets open. 
Wow, look at that ice cream. It's the box kind, not with a lid, but with a box. <laughs> Do they still make that kind? <laughs> I remember half gallons in boxes. Yes. For sure. Not with a lid. No. With like a folding. It opens. Yeah, like, like the box opens. Tabs, yes. For sure, for sure. Yes. That, that's not still a thing, though, is it? I don't think so. I haven't seen it in a while, no. That was very efficient. Uh, but Carla can pick out ice cream anywhere on screen. Of course. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Carla made me rewind the scene where Edward falls down in the car when he slams on the brakes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's funny. And Edward hits the deck. Uh, It's not funny when you are married to a veterinarian and things like that happen. That takes, like, stuff like that. It's like... Took her out of the movie. For sure. Just like, like, A, how did they film that? And like, why is that necessary? (laughs) That an animal gets hurt. Yeah. Uh, Carla on Muriel's nails. Ugh. Yeah. Those nails were... Disgusting. It's when he comes back. Uh, that her nails are particularly long, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you said, she's coming on pretty strong. <laughs> uh, Carla said, now if you name a dog Edward, they'd think it was from Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> right? You seen the Twilight movies, Mark? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Carla said, I feel like in another universe, Bill Pullman and Ed Begley Jr. played each other's parts. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> They're That's kind possible. of in the same You could see Bill Pullman genre. being William Hurt's brother. Yeah. Like there, there's a resemblance there. I, I love Bill Pullman in this performance mostly because I only knew him from Ruthless People, oh. where he c- could not be more different in that. Yeah. And then there was another uh, a horror movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow that was out around the same time with him in the lead. I've never seen Spaceballs, so I think people oh. know knew him from that. Probably, but that's another thing that's completely different, right? I think maybe people don't give him enough credit for being versatile. Yeah, I was going to say, say what you will about Bill Pullman, whatever. But if you look at his movies, it's like he went, he did, he's done every genre, and he's a stage actor too. Because I saw him do Oleana. All right. Mm. I love you, Bill. (laughs) Come be a guest on our podcast. We'll do Sleepless in Seattle. (laughs) Uh, Carla said, "Was this the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I think it might be." Yep. And then you said, do you think she could be paid to train Benny? Because <laughs> dog's a nightmare. And I said, Gina Davis or this character? And you said, Gina Davis. <laughs> <laughs> She's not that busy anymore. Uh, Mural making five bucks an hour to train Whew. dogs. Yeah, the clucking is a big thing. Yeah, right? I don't love it. Do dog trainers still do that? Cluck? I don't know. No idea. I've never heard it. <laughs> I've never heard it done. Carla said, why did she get an Academy Award for this part? Because she's charming. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand the progression of this movie. Uh, Carla didn't get that they were all siblings. I I thought that Ed Bagley Jr. was her husband. Rose's husband. husband? I mean, there's no indication that he wasn't. And then so Ro- when Rose starts flirting with Bill Pullman, you're like, Ed Begley Jr. is right there. I was very confused. And I'm like, that's, no, it's that's her confusing. brother. They, I mean, it, they shouldn't be allowed to live on their own, these adults. That's, <laughs> this is not a good movie. All, all three of, all three of his siblings live together. And so, and you, you said later that they actually verbally said they were siblings and I missed it, I guess. But, yeah, you just would not assume that three middle-aged people would be living together and he goes to stay with them. You would think that one one couple was married and the other guy was just a neighbor. <laughs> That's they don't I answer the phone. In one sense, it's a very quirky, funny uh, family in the sense that they were like, well, if if we don't answer the phone, 
if it's someone we want to talk to, they'll come over. So there are scenes where the phone rings throughout the scene and it's really off-putting and grating and yeah. hilarious and odd. That I will grant you is funny. Um, don't, don't overlook the fact that Rose marries the publisher, Bill Pullman's character, um, can't hack it, moves back in with her brothers, and later to make the situation better, Bill, Bill Pullman's character moves into that house and lives there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is weird. weird. I, l- I like, you know, I think the idea of the quirky family has been done particularly in indie dramedies. Like you see it as a trope so often now. Right. But I feel they all felt like humans in this to me. It didn't feel like anybody was trying too hard to be quirky, you know. Yeah, the, the actors, you mean? Yeah, I yeah, thought all the I'll actors. I'll give you that. Were. Yeah. Um, but after I revealed that they were all siblings, Carla said, I think I was watching a different movie for a while. <laughs> Too much wine. <laughs> <laughs> this movie set in Baltimore, by the way. Yes. Uh, we're not having a good track record with Baltimore. You didn't care for Diner either. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Carla was very upset when they do the whole thing of Edward waiting outside for them with no leash, uh, just sitting outside the drugstore. Yeah, outside the drugstore. <laughs> Carla said, No, that's not how you do it. <laughs> She later says, uh, pretty soon he'll wait there for three hours or something, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. Uh, by the way, when there's a scene in which William Hurt runs into, uh, uh, the mom, uh, of one of his son's friends, you know, so he now sees, uh, his son's friend is a little older. Now that boy played by Jake Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan's son, and Jake Kasdan, a very good director himself, but he would have been like 12 years old at the time he made this movie. Jake Kasdan, the director of Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, really? So you worked with him? Mm-hmm. Okay. What? I didn't recognize that that was Jake in that clothing store? Yes. Oh, wow. I yeah, didn't he, recognize he that. plays, uh. Now I gotta watch this movie again. <laughs> a third, third time. Oh, no. But he started directing very young. He directed a, a very fun movie called Zero Effect was his uh, directorial debut in 2000, I think when he was 24, star of that movie? Zero Mustel. Zero Mustel and Zero Effect. Uh, Not Mina Savari, Bill Pullman. Oh, interesting. So the Kasdans like work, you know, uh, Lawrence Kasdans worked with uh, Kevin Klein and William Hurt a lot and Kevin Costner, uh, you know, so they keep it in the family. Kevin Costner was originally offered this role I read. Was he? Mm -hmm. Uh, Turned it down. And I got to say also, you know, hey, you may not care for this Lawrence Kasdan movie, but uh, the man also wrote... French Kiss. <laughs> he, I think he wrote French Kiss as well, but he wrote Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, and The Force Awakens. So the guy can write a good... Star Wars movie. Star Wars or Indiana Jones movie. He's also movie. working on the Han Solo movie, the Solo really? movie right now. There you go. Um... When uh, Macon goes over and gives her that big speech, uh, and then they have the thing of like he, she puts him in the bed and she's just like, just sleep, just sleep. And Carla said she's not gonna have sex with him, right? Ugh. And then, and then you said, I like the sheets; they kind of look like our sheets. We do. We have old vintage sheets. And and then when they do start having sex, Carla said, Oh no, it was going fine when they were just gonna sleep. You and your movies. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you I guess so That was for me You and your movies uh, I was so disappointed in them when they slept together It was so not romantic And he shows up and he's clearly in a really bad place And I just felt like Why is she sleeping with him right now? To bone the sadness away Right, okay, now I get it um, <laughs> Thank it's, you for clearing it up This, this movie is so <laughs> creepy though Because they It does feel like 
they're having a platonic, like she's putting in bed. It's very maternal. Yes. And she's like, just sleep. And then he's like, hey, those, uh, those clothes come off. <laughs> and, uh, like, oh. <laughs> what? No, they're permanently welded to me. <laughs> but she, yeah. Then she goes, I'm bashful. But then they do come off. You know what I mean? It's yeah. creepy. It's not I'm good. I'm not sure this is a good movie. <laughs> oh, you were more polite at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the more you talk about it, the less you like it. Um, I love when he gets a pizza and he's like, no anchovies. And uh, was that ever a thing that anchovies were standard on a pizza? It feels like that's a movie slash TV trope. It does. Of like, let me get a large pizza, no anchovies. Like, when did people ever just automatically get anchovies? Uh, that was uh, hundreds of years ago in Italy. That was never <laughs> part of this country. Uh, when it cuts to uh, Muriel and uh, Macon in their honeymoon phase, Carla said, this is how we were when we were first together. You couldn't keep your hands off me. <laughs> Don't tell everyone that. Oh, when they're like in the movies and snuggling. and Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. When they're, specifically, they're watching a movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what this was in reference to, but Carla said, white guys over 40 all look alike. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a whole scene with uh, his brother, played by David Ogden Steers, uh, where he's kind of trashing Muriel mm-hmm. and telling Macon not to date her. And Carla said, she's super hot. She's a model. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, because because he's basically making the point of like, she's not good enough for you. And, I like, forgot you're, that. You're yeah. a catch. Yeah. He's, saying, he's saying, name one thing that's interesting or unique about it. <laughs> she's Gorgeous. <laughs> That's that was another thing that oh I'm so glad you brought this up. It drove me crazy that we were supposed to believe that she wasn't good enough for him. Right. Like everybody in his world makes it seem like she's garbage. And she is a mo- I mean she's like gorgeous and she's funny and he has no personality and he's balding. <laughs> she lives next to prostitutes. I mean, well yeah. <laughs> Maybe. We don't know that. We don't know that. Didn't that drive you crazy, though? I was like, how is she not good enough for him? Well, I mean, uh, on the flip side of that, for me, it was, why is she interested in him? Right. Exactly. This, yeah. Like, I think I think that's the same impulse. That disengaged, <laughs> misanthropic. Yeah. Uh, you know. Doesn't compliment her, looks mad that he's around her all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, after that scene where uh, the ha- holding hands with the little boy scene, uh, Carla said, I think everybody cries because men aren't usually portrayed as being very vulnerable. So when they are, everybody's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> then when Rose and uh, Julian get married, uh, they find out uh, William Hurt goes to the wedding and finds out that his ex-wife, Sarah, is the matron of honor of his sister, which, which somehow... <laughs> So weird. Somehow had not picked up that piece of information yeah. at all. And she, and, uh, she says, Sarah's my matron of honor. And Carla said, what a bitch. <laughs> this movie's bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And you've never had a divorce in your family. So you don't know how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs that is. Right. Right? Like you would never ever ask. No. Someone. I've never heard of that before. Okay. And you've heard some stuff. And I've heard some stuff. Like, I have crazy divorce divorce stories in my family. I've never heard of anybody being like, hey, I know you just divorced my brother. Will you be my maid of honor? <laughs> They're a quirky family. Okay. Um, and then, uh, we've talked about before, as Macon's flying to Paris for the book. Uh, first of all, he's watching Inner Space on the flight with he Martin, was. With Martin I Short. That. that was fun. Uh, 
And then Muriel shows up on the plane. And then I think Carla thought it was a dream sequence for a while. I totally did. She said, is he dreaming? She's really there and really said that? <laughs> I don't understand what's happening in this movie. It's so weird that because he's broken up with her, he's back together with his ex-wife. He's on the plane and she just walks up to him on the plane. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the weirdest thing? Well, and that he's like, how did you afford the airfare? And she's like, I borrowed. Uh, uh, it's gonna bankrupt me and my little boy for years i make five dollars an hour i left my kid with probably somebody and i borrowed and you don't own this plane you don't own paris like but how does she know that he's going how did she know which flight he would be on that part actually does make sense to me because the second that he uh goes back to his house and is back with his wife like the part that was unrealistic is that Muriel was not out front laying on the horn going like, um, what? Yeah. Like you've left me and my boy after I specifically asked you not to and said, are you going to be here for 10 years? Are you going to, you know, are you going to put him in private school? Are you going to, you going to provide for him? Are you going right. to commit? It's odd. They, they allude to the fact that they had that conversation because they flash back briefly to it, but they don't have that scene in the movie right. where he tells her he's going back to Sarah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, he drives to, drives to Muriel's house, apartment, whorehouse, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, is like, mm, and then drives to his old house that he shared with his wife. She's now reading a book upstairs and he's just like, I think I live here now. Yeah. I think Muriel's character would have flipped over that. Yeah. I think she would I agree. Have well, especially if we're supposed to believe that she shows up on the plane to follow him, to stalk him yeah. to a different country. <sighs> oh, it's okay. right. Well, guys, uh, is the ending strong enough to move the needle for you guys? Uh, I really like the ending. I, I mean, yes, it's sentimental, but I mean, it's really powerful. The music of John Williams is swelling. He does like, he gets led into this cab by a young French boy who is probably the reincarnated spirit of his. Well, he's supposed dead to look son. like his, he's supposed dead to look son. like his dead son. You know, William Hurt plays it great. Uh, they pass Muriel on the street and he's like, stop, stop for that woman. Uh, and, and they do. And then it's just a great shot of Gina Davis, uh, lighting up at him and then him lighting up, uh, at her through smoking some weed, <laughs> him lighting up a joint. <laughs> what a way to go out. Yeah. Did you guys like the ending? I thought it was sweet. Yeah. I did too. Or you just like that it was ending. I like, I like that the, my time with this film mercifully came to a close. Uh, no, I liked that. Um, I didn't need two hits of the boy. Yeah. I know um, they yeah. dwelt on it a little bit for my taste. Like, uh, as the kid is getting out of a cab and then he says, attendez, the, the kid says it as well, stops the cab driver. And they kind of have a moment there where he helps he him, him in, in the car. And he says yeah. To his father, um, uh, have a good trip. He says, bon voyage. Uh, and then, then he passes him again and they have this other moment as they're passing. And I was hoping that, that would be the same character now walking. But when you see him, you're like, oh, that wasn't him at all. Like, I put my son's face. I wanted that to be that kid. No, it's him twice. Um, that was, like, I didn't need twice. Yeah. Um, just to to have him be like, wow, 
I'm going to choose to believe from here forward that there is an alternate universe in which my son is alive and doing well in France. Um, you know what I mean? Like it just seemed hopeful or whatever. And then to run into Gina Davis with all of her purchases, she had hundreds of bags. She was definitely checking a bag on the way home. So in she my mind, this movie only dead. lasts for like 20 more minutes because as soon as they get to Charles de Gaulle, um, and he's like, you're checking things. I just threw out my everything. Yeah. It's over. It's over. Yeah, it's over. I did them. like it because it did feel to me like his son saying, it's okay, you can move on now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, although it did last a couple extra minutes. <laughs> I like a good ending, and a good ending is enough to, to swing a movie uh, in, in the right direction, I think. And a poor ending, you know, can take a movie that's been promising and make you hate it mm-hmm. at the end. You know, so you got to stick the landing. I think that they did. I mean, I think it, you know, it definitely thematically closes the loop. This is him coming out of his cocoon, coming out of his easy chair with wings on it and going, I'm going to, I'm going to jettison everything, start over and see what comes of it. Hmm. And he smiles. Uh, Carla, you want to give this movie a letter grade? C plus. What does that C plus stand for? Could have been better with more Bill Pullman. <laughs> Mark, uh, what letter grade would you give this movie? I think I'd give this movie a, a B, maybe B minus. I know okay. that I've been talking a lot of smack. I just, I think that it, some of it's uh, cultural, right? Like um, movies thirty years ago. This movie was made thirty years ago, and I obviously saw it when it came out, right? You know, oh, so I, I remember everything. seeing it in in the big screen, and sure. you know, liked it then, and have liked it since. I think that I mean, I can remember. Seeing uh, Star Wars, the the original Star Wars, as an adult and being like, this is like a kid's movie. It's like, <laughs> oh, I was nine or whatever when I saw this. That's yeah. why it was so, you know, seminal and great and the special effects seemed like amazing stuff. Um, so I didn't hate this movie. I just, um, I don't think that this movie would get made today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if Not this just, way. Not, yeah. It's an unfair comparison. Um, it would have um, a, a better, a quicker pace, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it wouldn't get made this way. I mean, I, th- I think. I mean, up in the time. air was very similar. Yeah, minus the dead kid, but like an emotionally cut off man. No, Anna Kendrick was dead th- throughout that movie. Her oh. character didn't exist. <laughs> Six sense. Um, uh, I would say B, like it, enjoyable, definitely like a uh, a film from its time. I feel, um, but I do. I did find myself going like, why are these two women, you know, clamoring to get back with this like nearly comatose unresponsive dude <laughs> um with the weird family yeah you know and even though i gave it a c plus which is worse than a lot of movies that i've graded on your podcast i understand why you our podcast our podcast for a while i for for 50 more episodes uh <laughs> I understand why you have it on the list, and I thought you did a really good job in this episode of explaining how it connects to you. Oh, thank you. Personally. Thank you. Now, I have to say that in my reassessing of this movie, <laughs> this was, I thought about this before t- hearing your guys' opinions on it, and I have to say, rewatching it for this version of the list, that it's borderline. 
Um, so I don't know that I'll take it off. Borderline Asperger's? <laughs> it's borderline <laughs> Asperger's. Now we know more about psychological uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> diagnoses. So I think now he can be diagnosed as borderline Asperger's. Uh, I think it's borderline top 100 for me. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this is, it's coming in at number 51, but I don't know that it'll make the list when I redo it. Um, because I don't think I liked it as much as Dead Poet Society, which I also, uh, classified as borderline. I think Dead Poets Society is a better movie than than this movie. Is Dead Poets on your current 100? Dead Poets was somewhere in the 80s. Okay. We we did it with uh, Janet Varney, and uh, we all you know have a lot of sentimental feelings toward that movie. But we were like, yeah, it doesn't quite hold up as much as we would like it to. The things that are great about it are really great, but then it's got some big problems too. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke are great in it, you know. And, <laughs> What? You said it's got some big problems, problems. too. Robin, Robin Williams. Williams is the biggest <laughs> problem of Dead Poets really, really Society. Robin Williams. <laughs> Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Peter Weir. Like Those are the problems with it. Um, but some great shots of geese. Um, but So I would say Accidental Tourist would be in like that uh, – I'd put it around 94th or 95th. Oh, wow. But then I'm going to be watching a bunch of movies to maybe supplant some of these movies. So – I think it might be off the list. With what regularity do current movies, new movies, uh, you watch it and go, oh, something's leaving that list because this movie's on it? No regularity. Really? <laughs> With no regularity does that happen. Interesting. You're not seeing things that you think are canonical, forever good movies. The, the, the rule, first of all, is I have to see a movie three times for it to even be considered for the list. I like it. So it, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the, the uh, circumstance out of it. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some movies from the last few years that are strong contenders. And I think there's a movie from 2014 that will definitely be on the list oh, when, I, when I do it. 22 Jump Street. 22 Jump Street <laughs> with Mark Evan Jackson. Yeah. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, oh, I, yeah. I believe I'm oh, going to add to the list so because I really, really like that. But then That's there's, a top ten for me. But it. then it, it, you got Spotlight, you got Moonlight, yeah. you got Boyhood. Like, there's a few movies from the past few years that are, are pretty, yeah. pretty great. Uh, going even further back in this decade, I liked The Tree of Life a lot. I liked Life of Pi. So those are those are some movies that could be could be on the list. When I now answer it. this honestly, uh, different than you've done the rest of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, is it disappointing for you uh, when you get it going and it's like, how'd you like the movie? And people are like, well, like, no, I think it's interesting. Okay. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, disappointing in the sense I'd always rather somebody have a good experience, you know, and, but, you know, it's, it's always, I'm reevaluating the movies. I'm reevaluating myself too mm-hmm. and my own taste. And I have to like, why was this an important movie for me at a certain time and why does it not quite hold up? And I think you guys made some very good arguments, uh, into its flaws as a movie. You know, I, I think the main thing is just my emotional connection to it, which I made, you know, when it came out in 88 and I still have that emotional connection to it, but yeah, comparing it against a lot of other movies that are, that are contenders, I, I don't think it, uh, shows up as strong. Okay. All right. All right. How do you feel about that, Carla? I feel like you are a very honest person. <laughs> <laughs> You're an upstanding podcaster. Well, let's improvise a little scene uh, that maybe a, a scene that would take place just after the events of this movie. So, you know, making a muriel 
uh, have reunited in that cab. They're on their way back to uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport to fly back to the States. But, of course, Sarah's on the same flight as them coming back, and they're all seated in the same aisle. Like, how awkward would that be? So, uh, Mark, I think you have to play Kathleen Turner as Sarah. And, Carla, would you play Muriel Pritchett? You bet. Okay. Well, I I lost one of my nails, so I have to redo them right now. Okay, Muriel, you can put those nails back on. Here we are, 22 B and C. Okay, well, you know, I mean, I'm not going to do this all the time. So, you know, you don't have to expect this kind of behavior from me all the time. But I just, I need to fix my nails right now. Okay. Muriel, is there ever... Oh, oh. Uh. I'm sorry. I just removed my sleep mask. <laughs> it's me, your current wife. Hello, Sarah. Megan, what? Megan. Uh, you didn't tell me your wife would be here. I didn't know my wife would be here. I it's... didn't ask who would be sitting in B and C when I got the A. Well, this is awkward. <sighs> oh, dear. Look, why are you clicking your tongue who are like you, that? Who are you praising I'm exactly? I'm trying to, uh, I'm calming myself and I'm telling myself to sit. Oh, uh, Sarah, I meant to say that I saw the reincarnated spirit of our dead son. Do you remember our son? Which son? Are you referring to the uh, son? We only had one son. I'm confused Sarah. simply because you suggested a couple times that we have another baby. I rejected that. Later I said to you, maybe you were right, we should have another baby. I remember uh, that conversation, that Sarah. Point, that point you said no to that. You're referring to our son who... Lived only 30 they put a years. they put a bullet through they his end. Speaking of sons, I wonder how my son's doing. I haven't talked to him in a few months. Is he staying with those prostitutes who oh, live down the street from you? They uh, make him food. What a charming life you lead. <laughs> so, Sarah, what uh, did you buy in Paris? I found a suitcase sitting on a wall, emptied out its contents, and filled it with perfume and chocolates. <laughs> Croissants. You do smell very nice. Thank you. I sampled each one. Sarah, I, I, you know, I just want to say that, um, you're being very nice about this whole situation. And I wanted to apologize for ever, you know, standing in the way of, you know, um, uh, the sanctity of marriage. Oh, my dear. That was never up to you. Maybe all people aren't meant to be married. Maybe some people are meant to be married briefly. Some forever, and some never. I don't know which we were. Somewhere in the middle, I suppose. Why do people shoot people in the skull? I can't imagine why you would ever leave her, Macon. She's very wise for a woman of 27. 27? My. She's just done some hard living. Five packs a day. <laughs> and see! I wasn't quirky enough. Oh, you were. I could. I could feel your frilly lace socks, <laughs> like <laughs> Madonna socks. You know, you uh, Muriel Pritchett can never live up to the real manic pixie dream girl in my life. 
Mark Evan Jackson. Mark <laughs> Evan Jackson. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mark Evan Jackson, uh, this episode is going to drop in late September. Oh, great. Uh, anything you want to promote? What's going on? Uh, sure. I would like to uh, remind people about the Detroit Creativity Project. We are a nonprofit that inspires and empowers middle and high school students in the city of Detroit through the art of improvisation. We offer free improv classes to uh, middle and high school students in Detroit. You can check us out at dcpimprov.org. Um, also, also, uh, The Good Place on NBC, I play uh, the all-knowing judge of all matters in the afterlife, <laughs> Sean. I can't wait to see the second season. I have no idea of where it's heading. I thought it was just a perfect first season, and now it's kind of rebooting itself. So I'm I'm really anxious uh, to see it. I was very concerned with what they were going to do with it, and it's brilliant. Cool, uh, cool. Those guys are amazing. And then Jumanji drops on December 20th. Uh, Jake Kasdan's Jumanji. Jake Kasdan's Jumanji. Who do you play in Jumanji? Are you allowed to say? Sure. Who I play the play? principal. I um, I don't have a giant role in the movie, but I... Uh, it's, you have it's a, a giant role in the trailer. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you I open the trailer. I have, yeah. a, I have about four more lines in the movie than you see in the trailer. <laughs> Um, I, it's a little bit Freaky Friday, a little bit Breakfast Club, and uh, a little bit Jumanji. So in this, um, this is all present in the trailer. In this new version, um, I send to I'm a I'm a high school principal, and I get in detention one day. Uh, a jock, a nerd, a hot girl, and kind of a quirky goth girl kind of thing. And um, I send them to clean out the basement as their penance, and they find an old video game controller. Uh, that Jumanji has transformed itself into. Amazing. And they get sucked into the game and become their avatars. Uh, the, the jock becomes Kevin Hart, who's little. <laughs> the nerd dude becomes The Rock. Uh, the goth girl, the like just, you know, sort of nerdy girl becomes, uh, Ka- um, Karen Gillan from <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor, and Doctor Who. Doctor Who. And the, uh, the popular girl becomes Jack Black. Amazing. So it's really fun. That's really funny. It's a fun, it's a fun version. Reese Darby's in it, uh, as well. Oh. He's the funniest man on earth. Oh my God. He's very funny. Um, yeah, the odds of me seeing a Jumanji movie are very low, uh, <laughs> because I'm 0 for 1 in seeing Jumanji movies so oh, wow. far in my, my life. There, there's only been one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw this trailer, uh, first of all, I was excited to see Mark, but then I was like, that's a really fucking good premise. Yeah. Like, it looks really funny. Like, it looks really funny. It's interesting, you know, um, people are generally excited about the trailer. Like, they like the people in it or whatever. Um, people are also very parochial about the original Jumanji. Um, some people assumed that it was made, uh, distinctly to sully the memory of Robin Williams. Uh-huh. Um, but others like, if you're a child of that generation, like that, Jumanji is an important movie for, yeah. for people of, I don't know, maybe that were born in millennials or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I missed it by a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the Jumanji cool. era. Yes. You're pre-Jumanji. Mm-hmm. Um, like people are like, don't mess with Jumanji. They, why they were making Jumanji. <laughs> it's really precious to some people, which I, I think is, uh, charming and good. And I, I think that they'll be, I haven't seen the film yet. Um, but I, I think that they will have done nice things with it. Uh, well, what a pleasure and an honor to finally have you Guys, thank on the you. podcast. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Mark, uh, we got to go see some movies together. I would like that. <laughs> I'd like to uh, put a bottle of wine in, in you and go watch some movies. <laughs> it's, uh, believe me, as somebody who's seen that entertainment firsthand many times, it's a delight. Now, do you talk in the movie theater? No. Because that drives me crazy. Yeah, yes. I, I wouldn't no, do that. No, she doesn't do that, folks. I'm yeah, not disrespectful only at, in that way. Only at home. I'm only disrespectful You're very at home. private, Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> 
So Carla, uh, I know we're recording this in late August, but now in real life, you've been in Portland for a couple of weeks. It's going great. Okay, good, good, mm-hmm. good to hear. You don't know that. I don't know it. I don't know it at all. <laughs> so much anxiety. <laughs> so Carla, 50 movies down, 50 movies to go. Great. <laughs> and so we're going to begin our second half by having our first return guest Ooh. on the podcast. We had him way back toward the beginning when we did a little episode about a stand-up comedian called Lenny Bruce, a movie called Lenny, and our guest was Paul F. Tompkins. He's coming back to talk about a Steven Spielberg movie, and this is the first of five Spielbergs on my list. Mm. This came out in 1975. AI. Uh, it's, it's, it's not AI. It stars Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus, and it's a little movie. Is there something, there's something coming? There's something coming? It's a shark named, named Jaws. So I know that PFT, PFT has been on, PFT has been on the record talking about Jaws many times. And I did not force him to talk about Jaws again. He willingly. He willingly. I was there. We've already recorded. We've already recorded this episode, and it's a delight. So you you were like, I know you've done this a lot on podcasts. Are you interested? Like thinking he'd be like, Nah, it's okay. And he was like, Yes, of course. I want to talk about it. So he was very nice about it. Yeah. So tune in for our halfway point episode next week. uh, Paul F. Tompkins and Jaws. Where in the top ten is Home Alone? (laughs) (laughs) The list is an absolute good. The list is life.